I join your company from my bedroom or my office. And now, how do, how do I learn about the culture? What used to, it used to happen by osmosis. I'd go into the office and bump into people and watch how people worked and learn what works and what doesn't work. Now I'm sitting in my screen. I need to be able to hear these stories. I need to be able to read about these stories. I need to be able to learn about what's acceptable and what's not acceptable through a different method now because I can't listen in on conversations. I can't have those water cooler moments. I can't have any of this sort of stuff. Companies that are smart about this are actually explaining what values mean to the organization because values typically are open to interpretation. So they take the value and they define what I call the expected behavior. What does this value mean to us? How do we behave? You're listening to the Remote Work Productivity and Lifestyle Podcast, the show to hear tips and tricks about staying productive and having an awesome lifestyle as a remote worker. Proudly presented by Remote Compass and worldpodcasts.com. Now let's welcome your host, Alan Kaig. Alrighty, folks, welcome to another edition of the show. This is your host, Alan, and today we are chatting with Brett Potter of Culture Gene. Brett, great to have you with us today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the business? Sure. Hi. Hi, Alan. Thanks for having me on the show. I am the, the founder and CEO of a company called Culture Gene, a culture development platform. We use human expertise and software to help our clients define, embed, and manage their culture. We've built a, a, a methodology that involves software to help companies really understand what their culture is and then break it down and, and embed it into the leadership team, the functions, the processes, and the policies of the business. And then we then, over a period of time, help the leadership team and CEO learn how to manage their culture and develop their culture further. I see. Well, one quick question. This sounds very systematic. I reckon that this sort of um, service is appropriate for a certain kind of company. Like not everyone is going to seek out something like this. Maybe it has something to do with their, well, culture, their size, perhaps the industry that they're in. Are you noticing patterns in terms of what kind of companies are most suitable with the kind of offerings that you have? Yeah, our clients range from solar farm operation and maintenance businesses to technology businesses to private wealth banks and everything in between. So there, there is no pattern, but the, the main pattern is that is on the leadership side and the other pattern is on the stage of the business. So most of our clients are either going to are approaching or are in rapid growth. When they're in rapid growth, our clients find that they need to start really investing in company culture because that's when things start to get difficult to deal with. When the leadership team are realize that they need to do something about company culture, they may have tried something in company culture, but they don't know what to do next. They don't know how to take their values and mission and vision and embed it into the company. So it's almost about the leaders of the organization being culture aware, but not knowing what to do. I see. So the uh, leaders are keen 
uh, after all, they'll be uh, seeking out for a service like this. I, I reckon uh, not everyone would if they if they don't have the clarity around the value of getting your people, your culture aligned. And a nice sort of signal or trigger is if a company is actively growing their headcount. Is that fair? Yeah, that's 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 fair and that's correct. I think I think one of the interesting data points from my research is that only one out of 10 companies has done anything about their company culture. Right. And and so actually the majority of companies should be looking to do this, but they don't really yet understand the value of company culture and the importance of company culture. So the when a company is starting to grow rapidly, they feel that uh, they can almost it's almost like they can they're in a car and they can feel that the wheels on the, the the nuts of the wheels aren't tightened properly right who do you reckon is the usual champion of this whether or not they will look for um outside help is this the head of hr yeah it's the head of hr it could be ops and it's often the ceo the the ceos who are more aware and more on top of things are are starting to exp- are realizing they're looking at their organization and seeing where the where the issues are starting to crop up and they're thinking hold on i don't have as much control as i did hr definitely and operations occasionally also are, are focusing on this how do you reckon this whole pandemic period influence your business as you've been focused on culture and getting people aligned since before COVID? Yeah, so so it's been very good for the business. We're very fortunate in that sense. It's made people a lot more aware of the importance of company culture. And that's really because when people were based in offices, they the leadership team could be a little bit lazy about their culture or very lazy about their culture. And what that meant is their culture formed by default. The four walls of the office helped them, you know, did almost did the work for them in terms of developing and maintaining their culture. And they they relied on things like physical interaction, proximity. They relied on natural information dissemination, those water cooler moments for their culture to happen. And now that those things are no longer happening, they're realizing that they actually need to invest in this and need to really get their heads around this challenge. Right. So it wasn't very mindful. It was more accidental. But at the same time, one can say that it's because the expectations are formed around the quote-unquote normal way of working, which is going to the office and inevitably in exchanging information. Yeah, I think I think you can see, though, that that the companies that you know have really gone on to grow internationally scale really rapidly and achieve breakout multi-billion dollar success. The Amazons, the Stripes, the Airbnbs of the world, the um, Googles and Facebooks originally, they invested in their culture really early because they were aware of it, whether they knew themselves or they were informed of it. They, The smart, the smart leaders, leaders were, were investing in their culture pre-COVID because they understood the value of it. Essentially, culture is the one sustainable competitive advantage that a CEO has complete control over. And if that is such a, you know, if culture is such a sustainable competitive advantage, there's no reason why you shouldn't invest in it as an asset. Right. I think there's a couple of things here. Number one is the fact that it's worth investing in culture. 
Number two is to engage a potentially third-party resource or whatever other resource or types of investments because you're taking culture seriously. When an organization is smaller and they don't have a huge headcount, is it fair to say that one doesn't have to be too mindful about their culture, about documenting it if they are maybe a three-person company? If they're a three-person company and they never expect to grow beyond that, I think it's okay. If they're a three-person startup and they want to change the world, then I think they probably are working out product market fit and they're probably trying to work out, you know, is this business going to really do what we want it to do? And actually, I still think it's important to think about your culture and have a conversation about your culture, what your values are, what's important to you as a co-founder, because at some stage, if you are successful, you're going to start hiring people and those people are either going to be additive towards your culture or destructive towards your culture. So making sure that you are hiring based on the values that you and your co-founders have is really critical. So I don't think you have to really over-index on culture, but having the conversations about mission and vision and values and what's important is really important at, 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 a small, at an early stage company that is going to scale and grow rapidly. Right. I reckon it has a lot to do with organization size, the fact that you're going to hire and perhaps the speed and, and, and volume at which that you are hiring. When an organization is smaller and it will remain relatively static, for instance, you're a company of five or eight and you've been together for many years now and you reckon uh, you will s stick together, then there's no need to be overly systematic or to, to document too much. It exactly. sounds like, yeah... So thinking about your culture has a lot to do with the size and the speed of the change. And the size of the change has a lot to do with the size of the headcount. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. What do you suggest is a big enough headcount to, to warrant thinking about this? Is there a number? Not necessarily. I'm seeing, I'm seeing people start to think about it at 15 to 20 because then it's not so easy to be connected to everybody every day and be in there, you know, talk to every single person. When the team is still small, you, everybody's doing what needs to be done and people are multitasking and, you know, sales is helping with marketing. But as you're growing to 15, 20, 25, um, you don't speak to everybody every day and you've got a little bit more structure and there's leadership in place. So that's when you need to, that's when I see companies typically starting to realize that, something needs to be done here because maybe the first 15 people were hired from your network or from close friends. But after that, you've ex expended your network and you now need to go and hire people with skills and experience that are outside of your network. And you need to make sure those people match the values of the business. I see. Sh shifting gears a little bit, can you describe what a good culture looks like? I know uh, many of these factors are going to be customized based on your business model, your, your values, your particular values, but how do we define if someone has a strong culture where perhaps folks are in sync, especially in a remote environment? Yeah, so, so actually, I, I like the way you asked that question because initially you asked about a good culture and then you asked about a strong culture. So there's no such thing as a good culture. 
unless you're referring to should I work at that company or not? Is it good for me as an individual or not? That you get strong functional cultures or weak dysfunctional cultures. So a strong culture is one where the values and the mission and the vision and the way we expect it to behave are clearly well-defined and lived by the company on a daily basis. It's almost as if it's second nature and habits. A functional culture is where the culture, the way the company operates is actually accelerates the business. So, so we, we, we communicate effectively and the way we work, we're open, we're transparent, we believe in radical candor, that accelerates the business. A weak culture is where the, the values and mission and vision are not defined and are not lived by the, by the company. And a dysfunctional culture is where there is politics, for example, in the culture. That's the way, one of the ways we work. Or it's about silo mentality where I maintain the information I hold. And so that's a dysfunctional culture. You can get strong dysfunctional cultures. So you can get a culture that is well-defined, but actually the way people work is dysfunctional and, 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 and negative towards the operations of the business. But in a remote environment, you, I've found and I've interviewed, I've interviewed a number of remote companies and researched hundred, you know, for, for, for the last year I've researched remote companies. And the companies that have the, str the, 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 the strongest cultures started working as remote companies, started working on their culture from day one because they had to. They didn't have the option of not doing that. Right. It sounds like there are two sort of dimensions. Number one is the clarity. Number two is the productivity. So you can have a clear understanding of the culture. It's being practiced by everyone, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be useful. Or you have a weak understanding of what's going on. And then, yeah, each individual has their own interpretation of what the culture might be. Yeah, exactly. And the productivity piece is really critical because you, 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 you do get companies that have not actively defined their culture, but they're still productive. And, but at a certain stage, you find beyond a certain stage, they start to struggle because they don't have the DNA defined. But it is possible to build a company to a certain degree where you don't work, you, you don't define your culture. Right. I'm circling, circling back a little bit to what you said about there's no such thing as a good culture. What do you think? Are, are there like universally useful or counterproductive traits of an organization? There are, there are organizational similarities. So if you look at the, the list of values of 50 companies, you will see significant overlap in what those values are. You know, it's, it's maybe about accountability. It may be about trust. It may be about... So, so at a surface level, certain things may look similar, but actually how the company operates and how the company delivers on those values is often, often very different. And the way I like to describe it is, you know, we have hands... And those hands have got five fingers, and they look the same. But if you if you look a little closer, all our fingerprints are different. The way every single company operates is different, and 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 this is why you can't copy a culture. You can borrow aspects of a culture, but you can't copy it. Right, that's a great metaphor, Brad. Shifting gears a little bit, how does one's culture affect how they connect with the outside world? 
is there a strong influence or if you're a good functioning organization, the way you connect with the outside world, you don't really need your playbooks and whatnot? Yeah, so I I believe that the culture, culture for me is the way we do things around here. And the way we do things around here is not limited to internal. It's it's how we work with our partners and, and customers. And so a, a strong functional culture will certainly impact your customers. And actually, you know, when you, you, you know, when you work with, with you, if you, depending on whether you're an Apple fanboy or not, when you buy an Apple product, you get their culture. You, you get the, the, the attention to detail. You get the design. That's part of their culture. They're, 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 I, the way I, another way to look at culture is that culture and brand are two sides of the same coin, but culture comes first. So your company culture is the way we do things around here, and then you put the brand on top of it, which is, which is really the external facing element of your culture. Right. Your culture builds your brand and your brand influences how you communicate with the outside world, whether you're a B2B service company or a consumer product company. Yeah, exactly. Can you share some tools or, or tips that you found have been useful in terms of keeping culture strong and aligned, especially amid this lockdown situation? Yeah, so most companies are actually experiencing the the opposite. So most company cultures are now degrading and the glue that keeps the team together is weakening. The reason for that is because we relied on our office to help maintain our culture and that office is now gone. So what I'm actually seeing is the companies that worked on their culture pre-COVID are, they're still struggling, but they're having an easier time of maintaining their culture. The companies that didn't, I'm seeing them double down on define the values, the mission and the vision now, and then communicate what those values mean and the mission and vision mean on a, on a very regular, repetitive basis. Because the team really needs some stability in this highly volatile environment we're in. And culture has the ability, a well-defined culture has the ability to give stability and agility if it's a well-defined culture. So I'm seeing companies now who have not done anything about this really double down on it and get those values and mission and vision in place. And then the, the, the companies that understand this, what, what most with, with most companies, what happens is you define the values and the mission and the vision, and then nothing happens after that. But the companies that are smart about this are actually explaining what those values mean to the organization because values typically are open to interpretation and as human beings we interpret for ourselves first and then we interpret for the company or anybody else so what the great companies are doing is they're eliminating the room for interpretation so they take the value and they define what i call the expected behavior what does this value mean to us how do we behave how do we see this actually Im impacting our business. And so that's where I'm, because that allows people to go, okay, cool, I know what to do in this situation, or I'm good here because I understand what the company requires of me. And that's really where, where, where my recommendation for most companies who've gone for, through the values definition phase is define 
three, four, five, six, whatever it is, expected behaviors per value that will allow your team to understand what that value means to them and the organization. Right. So, for example, because we value openness when facing a decision, choosing between option A and B, here's an example, action number one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, so, so in, in the, let's say our value is openness. One of, one, of the, one of the behaviors may be we communicate with radical candor. Another, another behavior may, may be we never talk behind anybody's back and we only say things to people's faces. Another one may be we avoid politics at all times. And another one may be we give and receive feedback with positive intent. So now we understand that I'm in a situation where that person didn't really deliver the way they should have done. And the behavior is we give with positive intent. So I will go up to that person and say, Jack, do you mind if I give you some feedback here? Jack will want to receive it. So he'll say, sure. And I'll say, Jack, if you had done this and this and this in this way, I think that might have landed better. And I think you could think about this and improving that. And and so so this Values and expected behaviors structure gives me gives me and Jack the acceptance to be able to communicate like this. That's a great example. You have a particular value. You have a set of something like five operationalized behaviors to use as an example. And then potentially every once in a while, you will review these values. You, you can, for example, in your organization, remind the team of one value every week on rotation and then sharing one example at the time to uh, to really firm up everyone's appreciation for these values. That's exactly right. So it's it they become an asset sort of a leverage where you can you can create employee of the month, you can build it into how you reward and recognize, you can build it into your training and development, you can build it into how you hire fire and promote, you can build it into what you measure and what you pay attention to. It's a very, very powerful way of embedding your culture in an active way in your business. That's a powerful tool. It's like evidence, right? We are promoting you. We are rewarding you because of this and that. Exactly. And if you think about remote work today, I join your company from my, my bedroom or my office. And now... How do, how do I learn about the culture? What used to, it used to happen by osmosis. I'd go into the office and bump into people and watch how people worked and learn what works and what doesn't work. Now I'm sitting in my screen. I need to be able to hear these stories. I need to be able to read about these stories. I need to be able to learn about what's acceptable and what's not acceptable through a different method now because I can't listen in on conversations. I can't have those water cooler moments. I can't have any of this sort of stuff. So yeah, you're, you're spot on. It's a, it's, a, it's a way of operationalizing these behaviors. Great stuff. All righty, Brett. Before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you, can you share one thing, just one thing that your work has taught you that everyone should know about collaborating remotely? Yeah, so it's one thing, but it's two things, essentially. People are not concentrating. People are not listening. And people are not engaged. It's just human nature. We are distracted. We're procrastinating. Somebody's making a noise next door. And I think if you accept this as a fact in your organization, then you should repeat 
what you say over and over and over again. If you've said it once, it's not enough. If you've said it twice, it's not enough. In a remote environment, you must be very clear. You must approach the same message in four different ways, and you must repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. If your team's eyes are starting to roll, that's when you know you're winning. <laughs> that's a great example. That's a great metaphor. All righty. Brett, can you share with the folks where to learn more about you and the business? Sure. My website is can be found at www.culturegene.ai. That's culturegene.ai. If people want to reach out to me, they can. I'm happy to chat. I'm I'm a student of company culture, and I'm always interested to hear what people are doing and 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 and, and learn more. So, and that's Brett B R E T at culturegene.ai. I've published two books on this subject. The Culture Dex Decoded is the first one, and my most recent book is called Own Your Culture. They're both on Amazon, they're both available on Kindle, and will soon be available on audiobook. And you can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. Breton Putter is my LinkedIn and Twitter username. Yeah, and please drop me a line, happy to chat. Excellent. I'll be adding those links down in the description. Perfect. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Remote Work Productivity and Lifestyle Podcast. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any of our upcoming or prior episodes. This show is presented by Remote Compass and worldpodcasts.com.